I'm Barry Worthington. I'm Pete Reese. I'm Paul Thorpe. This is the Progress with Unity podcast. Port Vale reaction, a game of two halves. Unfortunately, it was half a Guinness and half a mild, it looked like, as well. That first half yesterday, that first half was shocking. It was. I saw your comment about the, you know, the, perhaps the effects of the Christmas party and so on. And, and to me, it didn't It didn't look like that because normally you can't... The, the energy levels run out at a certain point fairly early on and they never pick up, whereas it was the other way around with us yesterday that the energy levels weren't there to begin with, but they did pick up a bit in the second half. So I'm not... I'm not Sure, I 100% agree with you about the, the after effects of the party, but there's no no doubt about it that that first half was utterly dreadful. There was, it was it, we were so passive in the way that we were letting Port Vale run at us with the ball. There was no aggression. There was no attempt to stop them running. No attempt to stop crosses, uh, leaving players un, unmarked in the penalty area and just outside. And all, virtually every single player was playing like that yesterday. Uh, and when we had the ball, there's not no tempo with it. Really slow passes, either slow or no movement at all. It was dreadful, really was. I would posit, Pete, that it is the after effects of the Christmas party, but in a slightly different way. Have they spent that Christmas party telling each other that they've got all this sorted, they've been on a great run, they're all brilliant, patting each other on the back, and they've all took their eye off the ball. And the half-time team talk, and my suspicion is that they've all got a bit complacent, They've had a word with each other at half-time, kicked it up a notch and got back on the horse, as it were. Maloney mentioned complacency in his post-match interview, mm. but I disagree. I, I, I expected the camera to pan around and there'd be two or three on the knees being sicker on, on the side because <laughs> that's how they were playing. Now, not everybody were like that. I thought Lange put a proper shift in yesterday. But, I mean, I, I don't like calling players. I'm not knocking them because they've, they've been fantastic for us. And, and to be honest, I'm not too overly fussed with it. But Steve Humphreys, I mean, he looked like he couldn't move some some points. We made two substitutions at half-time because we took two players off. Johnny Smith and Kel Watts mm-hmm. coming off. Surely it's got to be using Morrison every game as long as they're both fit. The way them two lads have played together all season. Unless Sean Maloney's easing Morrison back into it after his injury problem. I, I don't understand why he weren't starting yesterday. But... They just It reminded me so much of that Barnsley game on uh, May Day. I, I thought some of them players didn't have any energy whatsoever. They, they just looked, they looked awful enough, especially that first half. As we said, it was the other way around. They, they, they've gone out half asleep and then woke up at half-time. Not gone yeah. out and then got, got knackered and run out of gas at half-time. Made two substitutions at half-time, like, like we've just said. Charlie White came on and I thought he made a big difference. He gives us a focal point. And Morrison came on. And I think him and Hughes again at the back worked well. And then within a few, you know, within 10 minutes, well, less than 10 minutes of the second half starting, Callum McManaman and Chris C came on. And both of those two are energetic players anyway. You know, even you'd expect them if if they were tanked up to still have a lot of energy about them, wouldn't you? You know, they, they've got that dynamism about them. And, and they did and they affected the game very well. And the players he took off, there, Humphreys and Sean Clare, who I think both have been absolutely magnificent this season. It's probably the worst game 
both of them have played. Interesting thing that we said when um, Callum McManaman Callum came on, because um, my daughter and I were, were, were watching the match there, and and I, I was tearing my hair out at the lack of aggression off the ball. And and Julian said to me, "If you want aggression, you need to get Callum McManaman on the pitch, don't you?" Um, and of course, he came in, and almost the first thing he did was. Go running at the 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 the, uh, the goalkeeper bounced off him, and then ran at the, the the defender and bounced off him as well and got a yellow card. I think you can kind of be critical about what a stupid yellow card that was, but I think it actually need I think it actually needed something like that at that point. I thought it needed somebody to come onto the pitch and show a bit of aggression, show a, show an example. Maybe not the best way of doing it, but I, I I could kind of understand why he was so fired up, and I think he's perhaps been told, you know. Go on, Callum. Show the rest of them how it's done. Get 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 stuck into tackles. Hunt hunt the ball down. Uh, and I thought Charlie White did that. Like you, Barry, I, I, I thought Charlie White made a difference when he came on. He he in in you know however many minutes of the the start of the second half. I thought he he's hunting that ball down more more than Stevie Humphreys had, uh, had done in the first half. Agree. I'll just give you the stats from the game. Fifty five percent possession to Port Vale. Forty five for the Lassics. Port Vale, 22 attempts. Lassics had seven. Eight on target for Port Vale. Lassics, two. Corners, six to three in Port Vale favour. Fouls, we committed 10. Port Vale, six. Four yellow cards apiece. Tittle, Scottish Smith, Callum McManaman, as you've just mentioned. Sorry, we had five yellow cards. Jones and C. C's got boot for diving. I couldn't tell if it was a dive or if he had actually got clipped, but I'm not too sure about that. Chris C, he had a goal disallowed uh, on his birthday. He's made up for it. There's a similar sort of finish, weren't it, coming in in that central bit. Callum McManaman, again, in his interview at the end of the game, said he's told Chris if he keeps popping into the box, he'll, he'll lay the goals on for him, which he did. I thought that was a great goal. Yeah, very much. I, th- I thought I thought the way he put it to pull the ball back, he was um, he was looking for that run, I think, wasn't he? Mm. Definitely. Um, Definitely, and um, and there he was. I, lo- I, lo- I love, I love, a, it was like all the goals that Frank Lampard used to score for Chelsea. That wasn't it. Uh, pull, pull back from uh, close to the the byline and um, into the into the middle of the box, waiting for somebody to come running onto it. Yeah, great goal. Yeah. We've got the goals written down here. Uh, I just want to run through their goals. Well, first of all, Chisley he scored four. His first time he scored in twenty two. Sorry, he scored three. He could have he could have had four. Uh, it's the first time he's scored in twenty two games. He's gone 22 games without a goal. He could have scored after about three minutes, couldn't he? But he deflected the ball with his chest onto the crossbar. Was that going in? That's what I'd like to think. And also, a question for everybody. Is he just uh, the Pottery's Bradley Dack? (laughs) (laughs) One thing I noticed, that first goal he scored, the assist was by Gavin Massey. Mm. And he just walked away and didn't celebrate. So well done, Gav. Unlike uh, Alfie Devine. When the second goal went in, and he was appeared to be trying to rub the Latix fans' noses in it by punching the air and celebrating in front of us. So, and then the third goal was it a foul on Bavaradiko? I mean, that was the big question. Uh, I've had a look at the replay this morning, and I, I, I can't really tell. But as it happened, I thought it was a foul. Was it a foul? Commentary team were dead certain, weren't they? Yeah, Anthony Pillin and Neil Remo were saying it was absolutely a foul. They were saying it was a foul before he went through and scored. So. Yeah, and it probably was a foul. Again, Sean Maloney in his interview has decried that third goal, saying we should have committed the foul. So in his mind, we should have brought him down and stopped him getting there. 
which mm. is a bit cynical, but I mean, if it's going to win your games, and I'll tell you what else he said, which I really liked. He doesn't want to draw games. He wants to go for the win. So he's not apologising for the fact that we've lost trying to go for the win. So we've gone a little bit open and they've broken and undone us. After after the Lincoln game, um, you know, and we came close to winning it um, very late on, um, but the consensus of opinion said, well, we didn't really deserve to win it. What 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 do you think? Did we did we deserve to win that game yesterday? Did we did did we deserve a draw, or did, or was it a fair result in the end? I think it was a fair result. Just going off that first half, we, we could have been they could have been out of sight, couldn't they? I mean, I know they scored right at the death of the first half to make it two, but they were so much better than us. Oh, yeah. we were so poor. I'll say in that first half, we deserved to have had our noses rubbed in it. Yeah. And listening to Lange as well again. Uh, in his post-match, saying that he was embarrassed about how we played and all the lads are, and it'll never happen again this season. We won't start a game like that, and let's hope not. Interesting, though, um, you know, Charlie uh, talked about how many second halves we've we've won this season, and uh, despite how badly we played yesterday, particularly in that first half, as you say, we we again we won the second half, didn't we? So yeah, interesting little. Uh, addition to Charlie's stats. Yeah, I mean, is this turning into a, a, a psychological thing, Paul? Where the you know we're starting games slowly and coming strong, or do you think there's there's more to it than that? Are we just a, a really fit side who who take a little bit of time to get going, or are we not fired up enough? No, because I, I thought there was a, there was a few when we had dodgy games. There was a couple of dodgy games where I thought we started really quickly, but missed the chances that we created. And then sort of fell away. Yeah, so it's kind of the opposite of that. I, I, it can be psychological, but I don't think it will be. I think they're a pretty strong bunch. To have been as bad as they were in the first half and come back and won in the second half shows a mental strength. To have gone away to Exeter in the Cup and got a result when we were as bad as we were in the league. Uh, and, and not always our fault at times. There's a good few bad referee decisions in that little run. Again, shows mental strength. And I think there's definitely mental strength in the group. I just think they want to be up against it so that they've got something to fight against. Like I say, my take on yesterday was that they were a little bit complacent rather than they were drunk. So, or, or feeling the after effects wouldn't actually be drunk technically, would they? But, you know. <laughs> I don't yeah. think they were drunk. I mean, I might, I might have painted no. a picture there, but yeah, it, it was. I just thought they were a bit, they looked a bit off it to me. I think the better when they've got something to prove. You know, this has clearly given them something to prove in the next game. And then, of course, you've got the big something to prove coming up as well, haven't you? Man of the match is voted for by our listeners on both Facebook and Twitter. Well, last it's number 20, Callum McManaman. He made the goal for Charlie. Why, uh, like you said, Pete, put a bit of aggression in, into the uh, into the team when he came on. And picking a fight with uh, Conor Ripley in goal for Port Vale, perhaps not the wisest thing to do, seeing as he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. And he's about six foot six as well, you know. So, but uh, yeah, I, I love I love the way when he when he bounced off him, he actually he actually nearly lost his footing. I, th- I thought that would have been just been the classic if he'd actually ended up falling over after after bouncing into him. Yeah, but I tell you what, that centre half who got boots as well. If you, if you watch the replay back, he's actually stiff armed Callum in the face. He's raised his arm up and stiffed armed him in the first one. Ah, okay. I think he was very lucky, though, not to, not to see red. You can have your back belt in jiu-jitsu, but 
you've got to imagine that Callum McManaman would be fairly handy in the car park around the back after the game, wouldn't he? <laughs> you know, if needs be. And the other thing too, Paul. Definitely, definitely strikes you somebody who can look after himself when he has to. Yeah, and the other thing, he'd probably kick him in his shins and run off. He won't catch him either, would he? <laughs> Sorry, Barry, to come back to you, you had a, a question um, when we first started talking about the match about Hughes and Morrison. Are they the right pairing? Um, never got around to answering that. Um, I, I I find that a difficult one to answer, to be honest, because Charlie Hughes all day long is is your, is your um, first choice there at centre half. But we've seen Liam Morrison have uh, spells where he's not played so well either. He's still kind of learning the game to, to to a large extent. Kel Watts has probably got more experience than he has. But I wasn't surprised when he went off at half time yesterday because I thought he 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 didn't have any control of that left hand side whatsoever yesterday. That's where so many of the problems seem to come, particularly via Gavin Massey, as we said. We uh, we we just never got to grips with this at all. So I can understand why Morrison came on, but for me, whether he's a, going to be a regular starter or should be a regular starter alongside Charlie Hughes, not, I, I don't know. I can't say. I think he's played played the majority of games, aren't they, as a partnership. Mm. We got Reading at the weekend. They're in a spot of bother off the pitch. I managed to speak to Reading Supporters Trust Chair Sarah Turner, who give us the lowdown on how things are going at the moment. I'm very pleased to welcome onto the podcast today, Sarah Turner from the Reading Supporters Trust. How are you doing, Sarah? Hi, Barry. All good, thank you. You're the chair of the trust, aren't you? Yeah, I've been chair of the Supporters Trust since September this year, so quite new in position. Uh, so you've walked into a ring of fire, shall we say, with what's been going on? <laughs> I was going to say something quite rude, but yes, I've walked into a very interesting situation, ever-changing. One thing I noticed when we was going through our, our little problems was that the wider footballing world didn't really know what, what was happening up against Athletic, and, and I think that might be the case with, with Reading, although we've kept a close eye on it because you were very supportive of us, um, you know, so we were giving that back, and there's a lot of similarities. But could you give us a up-to-date where, where everything is at the moment? Where at the moment? We've got Dayong as our owner, who has now agreed that he'd like to sell the club. And he's been in negotiations with a number of parties for a number of months, but allegedly is making things very difficult for people. So he's not agreeing to make the sale as straightforward as he could. So he's dragging his heels and making things harder and harder. Things are very difficult on a day-to-day basis. Last month in November, they couldn't pay the staff their full wages, but they paid the players. So we didn't get another EFL points deduction. Morally wrong, not paying the staff. They were only delayed by about four days. But of course, we're getting to the position where December pay will be cropping up. And they don't know until the day, about three o'clock, whether they'll have money in the bank accounts to pay the bills. That rings a lot of bells, don't it, our end? Yeah, I'm sure it does. You know, we're not the first club that have been in this position. But it's, it's just, it's shocking. It's horrible. You just don't know what's going to happen. And... Obviously, there is a risk of administration hanging. We don't know at what point that will become an option. And then that's another 12 points. And we're playing badly. Another 12 points deduction would not be good at this point. But I think the, uh, the securing the status of the football club would be the paramount objective. Absolutely. You mentioned interested parties. Are, are people serious who, who are trying to get control of Reading Football Club? As far as we know currently, there are still three parties that are in conversation. 
So we were told that Geneva Group had got exclusivity, which then turned out not to be true. So obviously that's of interest to your fans, because one of the directors of Geneva is Talal, who was your chairman. Talal Al-Hamad. Are they Swiss-based? I think we'd heard about them when we yeah, were in trouble. Yeah, it's kind of Luxembourg, Switzerland. You know, it's a place where it's fairly difficult. It's a hedge fund, fairly difficult for the EFL to really go through the funds there. And Talal has spoken to the trust and said he wouldn't be the chairman. So that, that's that's one interesting part. Uh, have you heard from Dai Young or does he not speak to the supporters trust or the fans? No, we haven't heard from him. He, I mean, he purchased Ready in 2017 and we've never heard from him. Gracious, that's uh, a, a big worry in itself. Well, we're told he's a private man. That's that's what they, they churn out every time. They say he's private. And I mean, there are other owners of other clubs that don't speak to fans. You know, I'm thinking about Brentford with Matthew Benham. He, he doesn't come out and openly speak to fans. But if he had someone else that spoke on his behalf, then that would be OK. But we have a CEO who also doesn't communicate very often with fans. So there is no communication coming out of the club. There's been demonstrations recently as well, which I've noticed in the press. Uh, what sort of effect is that on having on morale? Is it bringing the fan base together? Is it giving the fighting spirit to the fan base? Yes, about June time, we started a protest group called Sell Before We Die, which was three members of the Star Board with the other groups that were involved with the Reading. So Elm Park Royals, that I think you know, and the Tidehurst End, the Rainbow Royals, which is our LGBTQ plus group. And 1871, which is our loudest sort of section of fan base, we all formed a group together and made a plan of action of protest and communication of how we were going to get the message out. I think we've done pretty well. I mean, we've got our local MPs involved. We secured the ACV on the stadium through that. We've done a protest march, had 2,000 fans marching up to the stadium. We've had numerous banners and we've done protests involving the tennis balls, which you might have seen. We've tried. We've tried to get the story out there. We had an ad fan driving around London last weekend, which was going to the places where Dayong hangs out. So he, he goes to a casino called Les Ambassadors. And we had parked our little van outside there with some good slogans on it. We went to the EFL. We went outside Dayong's house. And we went to Parliament. So we put football has a regulation problem outside Parliament for a couple of hours. So it was really, it was good. It was well seen by lots of people. Thinking about like opposition supporters, like, I mean, obviously we're coming down next Saturday. You know, what sort of support do you need from, from uh, the rest of the EFL, especially those that are coming down to Reading? Wigan actually have been incredible. Your supporters trust reached out quite early on and said, we've been through this, we see what you're going through and have tried to give advice whenever you can. Bolton have been amazing as well. We've been communicating with Southend. Loads of clubs have actually come forward and offered practical help with, you know, what can we do to help you? Do you need any help? You know, you haven't done a protest march before. Do you want any help? Absolutely amazing. We're not sure about this weekend. We've been talking about some kind of joint banner to go across the home end and the away end on Saturday, but currently nothing's been firmed up. I'm sure the Latix fans will join in with an appropriate chant that, could, <laughs> that we seem to, to do at every opportunity. So there'll be some stuff going off there, no, no worries. And you, you mentioned about further sanctions. Do you think the possibility of points, more points sanctions coming? And you know, if you get a 12 point for administration, you're as good as relegated, aren't you? It's going to be a massive yeah. in, impact you massively. Do you see a future for the club, a stable future? Is it paramount you get rid of the current owner to, to achieve that? Yeah, totally. 
We've been really pragmatic, really, as a fan group, thinking about what we want. And if you'd have asked us two years ago, we would also we want to go back to the Premier League. And I think we've now understood a lot more about how football works and sustainability and what that actually means. So I think we band about we want a sustainable football club, but I don't know that everyone was really aware of what that would actually mean for us. And I think we're now becoming quite cl- much clearer on what that would look like for Reading and how that can be taken forward. So we want an owner to come in that is going to be like look after us as part of the community, which Dion hasn't done. You know, Reading Football Club, we are the oldest football club in the South, even though Crystal Palace would argue we're not. We've been there a long time. You know, football's been going on in Reading for centuries. We need to keep that. 1871, we were established. And it's too, we're too young to die. We need to keep going. And whether that means that's in League One, League Two, wherever it is, if we can do it the right way and start again, almost reset, that's what we need to do. We've got to take that hit now and get it right. But we need an owner that's going to be with us on that journey. Well, Sarah, thank you very much for joining us. And like I said, we'll be annual 100%. We'd like to thank all Wigan supporters for everything they've done for us. So we really appreciate that support. Some important words at the end there from Sarah that apply to us just as much. Sustainability, that's what it's about. They need an owner who will look after them as part of the community, which is a great philosophy to have. And if that's in League One or Two, so be it. They need to do it the right way and they need an owner who will be with them on that journey as well as they do things the right way. They're very similar to us, aren't they? And they had an owner like that in John Medeski, like we had Dave Whelan, and that legacy has been blown apart. And now they're in a position of uh, real trouble, as we were. I think the, the the only difference is that we went through it twice, didn't we? Both in a very short space of time. And, you know, when you, when you hear fans talking about a sustainable future and live, living within the means and, you know, developing the academy and so on, I think that's, uh, I think it's absolutely correct. I wonder if the majority of fans really understand what that means, because um, I think from what we can gather, Wigan Athletic is uh, still running at a loss. Um, it's still carrying some legacy wages from the previous ownership. And we might, in that sense, we might not have hit the bottom yet in terms of where the, you know, the, the, the cost-cutting measures need to take place and and so on. You know, to, to give an example, if we lose Charlie Wyke in the summer, I don't think we'll be replacing him with somebody of the same stature as when he, as when he arrived. We might already have somebody of that stature within our squad. Josh Stone. He went out on loan on Friday to Oldham Athletic, a 28-day loan. And on Saturday, he made his debut away at Solly Old Moors, who were flying high in the National League. And uh, not only did he score, he provided an assist as Oldham won 3-2. An absolute brilliant start. So, absolute, yeah. you know, fabulous stuff. And he does look a good player, doesn't he? And you think about Stones and Chris C as well coming through. I think we have got a, you know, the talent within the squad, there, albeit at a young age at the moment. Yeah, I think everybody likes Josh Stones, the way he plays. His, uh, his, the, the effort that he puts in, it's fantastic to watch, isn't it? Yeah, it's striking the balance between putting in that effort, putting in that aggression and being a walking yellow card and sometimes red card. <laughs> I think that's the... Yeah. That's the concern that, that we have sat those that sit near me. He's got youth on his side and, and that experience will come as he plays more games and learns how much he can get away with and what he can't get away with. We'll be back on Wednesday with a 
a full preview of the Reading game and we'll be looking ahead to the festive period with a, we've got a run of games coming up. Bang, bang, bang. Until then, up the six and I'm still in love with them. Come on. Up the on. Ticks. Oh.